I just asked people what they had for breakfast. Oh, um, I'm not much of a breakfast eater. I had some coffee today and maybe some yogurt, unless that was yesterday. (laughs) They're they're all bleeding together now. (laughs) Actually, you know, based on that, leading up to Oktoberfest, what's it like for you? Like busy trying to gather everything last minute or is it kind of like high high stress time? It's not that it's a last minute, but it's definitely a high stress time. Yeah. Um, with uh, we have a uh, so much programming and pieces to the event uh, that when we get to about a month before, everyone's areas converge, and you need all those final details for you know thirty area managers or mm. something like that. So um, whether it's the restaurant team or uh, bands on either stages from a, a hospitality or, or a technical perspective, uh, whether it's all of our charities like Hidden Harvest or um, or uh, like the charitable bike ride with United Way or Ottawa Riverkeeper who do the 50-50 or any of kind of our external charitable partners, uh, we need to get all of them together. So all of their needs are, are coming up. Uh, we're working on, um, you know, communicating things like staffing and uh, volunteer orientations and everything to do with all of our volunteers, finalizing um, any of the last-minute logistics for the camping uh, uh, or for the buses that come into town. Um, I'm doing site walkthroughs with suppliers and, uh, and uh, you know, the, the fare board and all of that type of thing. So it's one of those things where as you are planning throughout the year, you can space that stuff out and mm-hmm. you can prioritize and you can make sure that everyone has attention, but not all of their needs are our immediate needs because you have that time. But now that we're three weeks away from the event, everyone's needs are important and everything comes together because everyone is doing all of their, uh, everything that you need to do at this stage to plan for the festival. But it's all the things that, you know, you're preparing for and now you're getting ready to execute. Mm -hmm. So everybody needs things all at at once. And that means that I, I'm just, I work longer days and I do everything that I need to do as an event manager to make sure that they have uh, all of the resources they need, whether it's infrastructure or supplies or human resources um, and that everyone is area is, is running. And if they're missing anything, you know, now's the time that we need to know. Yeah. 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 As event manager, you are that person kind of at the top. That's really kind of keeping an eye on everything, whether it be like you said, programming or volunteers or everything that kind of all funnels back, I guess, upwards back up to you if, if need be, I guess. It does. And then, I mean, I have folks that I take direction from at Bose as well yeah. to make sure that I, I'm uh, executing the festival within the vision um, of, of those in the creative and marketing and, 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 uh, and uh, you know, owners and so on. Um, but then it's, you know, take all of that and funnel it out to all these different people yeah, who yeah, do the yeah. different jobs. Fair enough. So I, I'm, I oversee them all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's, uh, that, I mean, that actually kind of brings to something that I wanted to touch upon maybe a little bit later, but maybe get into a little bit now sure. is, um, is what are some of the guiding principles, I guess, that you have to keep in mind in planning, you know, Oktoberfest and planning those big bows events? Um, I mean, with with any of these uh, types of signature events, what we're trying to do is be able to create 
the ultimate Bose experience in mm. a day or over a weekend. So, you know, in Oktoberfest's case. So we want to make sure that we have great beer there, of course, uh, and as many different varieties of our beer as possible, but also lots of great craft beers uh, from other uh, Ontario craft or Canadian craft or yeah, even international craft. Taps, eh? yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, 50 guest taps, uh, 50 wow, plus. Okay. So that's that's a lot of fun, and it, it gives us a, an opportunity to showcase the industry as well. Yeah. Um, so there's beer. Uh, you know, we have a culinary program down at the brewery. We want to have great food at the festival. Um, and we actually won a culinary tourism award uh, last year, which was great. So we're working with all these restaurants. So that's another component is great food. Um, Bose is a big supporter of independent arts and culture. So that's our musical component. Mm. And uh, I know we'll get into that, but we want to have great music on, on the stage um, that, you know, you can enjoy uh, whether you're there to see those bands or you're just there to enjoy the festival. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and then community is a big a big thing for us. So we want to make sure that we're supporting the community as uh, as much as, as possible. So I mentioned some of our great charitable partners and uh, really trying to use Oktoberfest as a vehicle where we can do fundraising and bring different community groups in to do their own fundraising uh, as, as part of the festival. And then we want people to have fun. So, yeah. you know, there's uh, there's all the fun that goes along with that, which really is the Bose experience. So whether you're um, doing the uh, the keg tossing and the stein holding and the sausage eating events or you're uh, playing in the midway or you're watching people skateboard while listening to some punk rock or you're getting to try all this great food or getting the, uh, the opportunity to taste all this amazing beer or learn something at the school of Bach. Uh, or if you have little ones, bringing them to the Kinderfest. Uh, there's a Ferris wheel this year, so you're going to oh, be cool. able to see the grounds uh, from high up which for the first time, which is uh, fantastic. So I think that uh, for us it's really about you know showcasing who we are as bows and making sure that we're hitting those those key po- mm-hmm. points. Mm-hmm. Um, my girlfriend actually works at Bose. Yeah, she's very nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and she told me a few weeks ago when I – or. I guess maybe last week when I said that uh, I was going to sit down with you, she was like, yeah, I th- Josh's job is essentially like surround or around two things. And it's planning Oktoberfest and planning uh, St. Patty's Day. That's right. How real, like, is that true? Is that kind of like the two big ones that keep you going throughout the whole year? That's very true. That's okay. what I, that's what I do for the year, uh, is really, I work, I work all year for three days, <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> which is awesome. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, we kind of, touched on the scope of what Oktoberfest is, but I start planning Oktoberfest in January okay. in terms of starting to uh, be sourcing talent, negotiating uh, contracts for main stage bands is really like that I'll work on from late December to early January. I'm starting to get pitches from agents and management and so on. And uh, I want to have that process complete by you know, uh, mid-April, uh, early May, uh, and then it's on to getting, you know, because you need to know who, who all the bands are so we can announce in June. Mm-hmm. And then we work on Oktoberfest all the way through the festival in late September. And then uh, it's a, you know, it's a good couple months of paperwork and, and dealing with uh, all of uh, all of the kind of close down things for the year. And, you know, and then it's November. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, and as as uh, you know, as Oktoberfest winds down, then I start ramping up for St. Patrick's. So I'm already booking bands for St. Patrick's party. Okay, uh, we have the venue in place, and then 
that's kind of where I where I'll I'll leave that during Oktoberfest time is just trying to get the talent sourced uh, because being a cultural day you need to have those bands booked well in advance mm-hmm. because there there's only you know there's only one St. Patrick's Day maybe a week's worth of celebrations leading up to it or surrounding it and uh, a lot of Celtic type bands that uh, are are playing so you need to book them earlier they're gone uh, so I'll do that right now and then once Oktoberfest winds down and we're starting to get towards the end of that paperwork phase in uh, you know in November that's when I'm really starting to ramp up the planning for March for St. Patrick's okay so and that's kind of how the the cycle goes that's nuts that's crazy I mean is uh, is booking the bands the most time consuming part of it or like the the most difficult? I don't know if it's either. It, it's it's a lengthy process. Um St. Patrick's is a little easier because we're only booking three bands okay. uh, um, for the main stage uh, for the nighttime concert. And then just like Oktoberfest, we do a traditional concert during the daytime. And we work with uh, a lot of local uh, Celtic acts from the Ottawa area who, who bring in those performers and program mm-hmm. it. So that's not too bad. It's, uh, it, 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 it's when it comes to Oktoberfest, um, it's a little different because we're trying to craft a program of seven to eight bands on the main stage that are going to hit a lot of different type of criteria and try and appeal to a lot of different people. And uh, and in getting that right and balancing the budget and getting the, you know, the right makeup is something that is, uh, that becomes a challenge. And so a lot of it is, you know, you we'll get pitched 60 some odd bands over various agencies and we need to distill that down to eight bands. Mm-hmm. Um, Can you that, talk about what some of those criteria are? That uh... Totally. Uh, so first Canadian. Okay. So that's amazing because we can go to our agents and say, you know, we're looking only for Canadian talent and that eliminates some of the work we have to fair, do. Fair and, uh, and it, it's nice because, you know, we want to support people from back at home. Mm-hmm. Um, then we'll start to look at um, our main, you know, we view our main demographic uh, from Oktoberfest uh, as kind of like the 25 to 34. Okay. And then the secondary demographic is probably the 35 to 44 type thing, right? So ballpark it around yeah, yeah, yeah. there. So we want to have three bands, somewhere around three bands that are really going to connect with that core demographic and bands that people know of. Um, and then we're trying to have one band that will connect with, uh, the secondary demographic at least, um, as, as, uh, we've been a brewery for 11 years now. So the, the age group of the Bose fan is, is expanding mm-hmm. and, and getting older as well, which is nice. Uh, so we want those people to have something that might be familiar to them. And then, and then we're also trying to find, uh, up and coming talent and really, uh, be ahead of the curve on what the trends are uh, and who is uh, buzzing around the showcase festivals. So uh, this year I went to Megafono in, in uh, Ottawa. I went to Empo Montréal in Montreal, which are uh, are good industry showcases for emerging talent. And I went to Canadian Music Week in Toronto. Uh, at that point, I was scouting for 2018 bands oh, wow. or okay. being able to actually see live some of the bands that we didn't take that were pitched to us from agents. Okay. Um, so that that is a really good way to kind of see what bands are emerging so that you can try and have your finger on the pulse and, and, and just keeping an, 
an eye on what's going on in the music industry yeah, yeah, yeah. in general. So we want to have some great up and coming talent. Uh, we also want to have francophone talent because we are we are in the center of a, a huge francophone community mm-hmm. and right on the border. Um, so and then we also want to have a. a a nice diverse lineup in terms of our performers as well um, uh, and have some diversity on the stage. So we're trying to hit all of those types of uh, things that we're thinking about within, you know, to try and get fantastic talent that is going to either bring people specifically out to the festival because they're coming to see those bands or, but also be able to provide an appropriate atmosphere for the people who are there just looking to enjoy the event and maybe give them something new to discover. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of different things to try and uh, check off within only eight bands. Yeah, I looked at I looked at the lineup earlier today, and I, I know none of them. Oh, so. crazy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But I bet you would like them all when you come to the event. I, so. I pr- Honestly, yeah. I mean, I, I'm always, I like just personally, I'm always open to, to looking for new, looking at new music. Yeah. So I'd be, I'm, I mean, I'm stoked. Uh, it's, it's nice, you know, maybe seeing one that you know and then kind of aim for that but if if they're within this the rest of this lineup then you can expect at least probably discovering at least a handful more right so totally and you know outside of all that i also have a look at how people did at the genos um, okay how people have done at polaris prize mm-hmm. uh, we usually have the lineup booked before um the coming polaris but uh but at least um you know we'll look at last year's and then we usually book kind of um, in and around when Junos are happening. So some yeah, of yeah. the acts might be booked already and others are not. It just depends on how quickly the process moves and who's touring that year. Um, and I'll also look at when albums are coming out. Okay. So if people have an album or a single coming out, then that might help decide between two bands that are equally as good and appropriate for the festival um, because we know those bands are going to have uh, increased promotion and visibility. Um and uh, and so all of those things factor in. And we also kind of start booking from an indie rock perspective on the main stage and branch out from there. So you might move out to someone this year that's uh, like John K. Sampson in the Winter Wheat who are um, have a little bit more of that like folky kind of, you know, indie sound. But their singer used to be in, you know, bands that came out of the punk scene so it hits both those audiences yeah, yeah. you know we might go over to a ska band like the planet smashers because you know ska music is great we love those guys and do a lot of work with them and their record label um in past years we might take that a little bit more in the hip-hop vein like chaos last year yeah. or a little bit more in the aggressive vein like effed up the year before so we're starting kind of with India as a template, but there's so much stuff when you break out of that and look that, you know, um, we have a lot of options in terms of the genre as well. But we want the music to be accessible enough on the main stage. Yeah. Again, like, you know, someone like you who doesn't know those bands can still go to Oktoberfest and be like, that sounds good. I'm going to mm-hmm. go check that mm-hmm. out. Um we had the luxury that, you know, John K. Sampson, who I mentioned, and uh, Tons, uh, which is uh, Chris Murphy from Sloan, uh, had, oh. who are there this year, they both got longlisted for Polaris. So, okay. you know, we had announced them at the festival, and then we see that they got at least on the long list, which is prestigious enough, and we're able to, you know, use that as a vehicle for promotion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
both partner who have been getting a lot of press as the buzz band this year and uh, Julie and the wrong guys have albums coming out on September 8th. So we're seeing their, their labels and their publicity people promoting that, uh, stars haven't had an album out since 2014. They're on a new record label this year, announced their album for early October and they have singles out that they're pushing. Okay. So those guys are, you know, our, our Friday night headliner and one of them's from broken social scene. So it's like, we're, we're able to promote them that way as well so it's all of those things factor into the booking and the strategy but first and foremost they have to be a great canadian band yeah, yeah. and they have to be you know able to put on a great show for our audience uh, whether they know them or not yeah yeah uh from i guess going a little bit more personal has that always been something that you've been interested in kind of music industry and event planning like that or is this something that you've kind of fallen into that you didn't realize before yeah, it's uh, it's definitely not something that you can probably fall into at at uh, at this level. Although I suppose you could. Um, yeah, I started running shows when I was fifteen. Wow. Uh, I was booking punk shows and uh, um, in high school as part of a high school project, and that went well. So we kept moving forward with that. And uh, as I continued promoting monthly and working with bands at a young level, when I was done high school and I was starting to think about what college looked like. Um, Someone said to me, you know, you promote shows all the time and you're working with bands. Why don't you get involved in music business? And I was like, oh, you can do that. <laughs> um, and I took a program for music industry arts that was uh, um, more on the management and business side of the music industry. And that led me in, to making connections that um, partially through just the shows I was doing independently and through people I met at school and knowledge that I learned. Excuse me, I started working as a stage manager on summer music festivals on secondary stages, which led to doing production management for smaller festivals, directing smaller festivals, or, um, or uh, really, you know, and doing site logistics on bigger festivals. And I went back to school and I took a program, a postgrad in um, festival events and conference management. And then from there, I've just been freelancing in the events industry, which, uh, you know, I lived in the Toronto area, so I would work on things like Luminato or the Toronto Just for Laughs Festival or community events like a Jerk Food Festival, which is kind of like a rib fest, but for okay. jerk food, yeah, which yeah. is amazing. Um, and... Uh, and I directed an ecology festival where I was festival director. Um, so all of those things kind of built up the experience required to come here and be able to uh, work on Oktoberfest. Okay. If if you've been planning shows, how old are you now? I'm 34 now. How has, I mean, other than the shows getting bigger and a little bit more prestigious, I guess, than the, the punk shows that you booked uh, yeah. in high school, how has, how has it changed over that 20 year period, I guess. Well, it's kind of funny because I still always did local shows. Even now that I've moved here, okay. I still do an annual show back at home. So somehow that's always stayed, um, and been important. Uh, so that never changes. I mean, it changes, but it doesn't change. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, uh, it all comes kind of from the same mentality. So the earlier days was book a venue, find a sound system, find someone to run it, uh, sell pop and chips because we weren't old enough to sell booze, yeah. <laughs> book some bands, make a flyer, put the flyers out, 
uh, we're talking before Facebook. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you really had to actually think about the street marketing um, and uh, and how to get the word out on the streets. And uh, and then people come in and someone has to take the money at the door and you run a show. Um, so really, in that aspect, it's not different. It's mm. just bigger and Fair it's enough. a larger scale. Um, dealing with... You know, when I started to get to a point where I'm, I'm from Newmarket, which is a suburb of Toronto, um, when we started to get to a point where we're seeing three, four hundred kids coming every month to shows, then and we're starting to uh, develop bands out of our scene, like uh, the Flatliners or the Elwins oh, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, then agents start to take notice that something's going on there, and then they start sending you bands that are looking to develop in secondary markets. So then you start learning how to deal with agents and management, and then you start forming relationships that now still help out 10, 15 years later, mm -hmm. um, which, is, uh, which is good. So the budgets might be bigger. The talent might be bigger. Um, and uh, then when you're doing a small hall show as a teenager, but the the process is fairly similar. Um, and any site that you walk on has its own set of challenges. You need to know where the electrical is. You need to know where the water is. You need to have a plan to bring the things in and you need to know what goes where. But site planning is very similar. Again, it's just sometimes a bigger scale and a new set of, you know, okay, well, this comes on at this time. And if that piece of the puzzle is coming in here, you know, when does this thing come on and how does all that work together? So, a lot of that stuff doesn't doesn't change, and it would be the same way in a smaller setting where you say, okay, well, maybe it's less things that come in, but sound has to get here at this time. The band sound checking have to be there at that time. The audience is going to arrive at this time. Um, so the people who are doing the concessions and doing the front door have to be there at, at that time. Um, you know, and uh, even some of those smaller shows, if they were in a remote area, we were doing a bus. So yeah. <laughs> we didn't do a lot of them, but it happened on occasion. So... Um, but yeah, so it's it's really just bigger scale, more people to manage, and uh, but the concepts and the principles are the same. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you could, uh, this is like a throwaway question, but if okay. you could uh, book anyone, who would it be? Oh man, I know that's hard. Or like even maybe a top <laughs> three or. Well, so it's hard. It's weird. Um, I mean. Through working, um, through getting older, through just being uh, someone who is actively seeking out new music all the time, and uh, and working, you know, really cool events like Luminato that pull in all different types of music from uh, indie rock to world to whatever. Um, my my palette of music and the scope of what I'm listening to has just grown and grown and grown. Mm -hmm. So. You know, I don't even book the talent on the punk stage, which is where where uh, my roots are, because one of our great brewers, uh, uh, Kevin, who also plays in a, in a band called Audio Visceral with Steve from Bose, um, they, uh, Kevin is so in tune with what's going on in the Ottawa and Montreal punk scenes, as well as what's happening in the Southern Ontario that he can just take care of that. So yeah, yeah. I start thinking about all of the other types of bands and uh, immersing myself more and more into the types of genres that we book on the main stage. And uh, so I get exposed to a lot of bands and I get excited about a lot of things. And I also know that like there's levels of bands above what we're doing that we we 
can't afford to bring in. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and so that becomes a tricky question. Um, you know, it's not Canadian. <laughs> I'd love to do Weird Al. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, which would be ridiculous. Um, you know, uh, I've got friends who play in Arkells. I love that band. Oh, I yeah. think they would be a great band for the festival. That would be a fun thing that I would love to do. Um, and, uh, I, you know, there's so much stuff. It's such a hard question. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah. No worries. No worries. Like <laughs> I could I list you off 20 bands that I would love, <laughs> I would love to book or bring back or that played here in the past that, you know, I wish I had been here to work with and to see, um, yeah. 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 No, like I said, it's a bit of a throwaway, so it's all good. <laughs> um, I guess if you're looking at, uh, I mean, the, Planning Oktoberfest is so intrinsically linked, as you mentioned, to the upcoming trends within the, in the music scene. Mm -hmm. What have been some, like, can you speak a little bit about maybe what trends have emerged lately that you've kind of noticed that, I guess, have stood out more to you? Well, it's interesting because we're booking, although I've, I've, talked about all the different criteria and there's a vast amount of criteria we're booking through still a specific kind of lens mm -hmm. that, that we're that we're looking at um in terms of that like starting from an indie rock perspective so i think that it's it's hard because i don't think that there are any like crazy superstar canadian bands that are necessarily coming out in the way that you would think of, uh, like a tragically hip, for example, Yeah, yeah. you know, um, or, um, like a blue rodeo, like those kind of quint quintessential, like, you know, these are Canadian bands. Um, and, uh, but I think it's also at a point where like the music industry still feels like there's a lot of bands coming out, that there's a lot of development that you're seeing these bands come from, uh, a developing stage and and coming up to these big bands and a excuse me an example of that might be like a, uh, a Strombellas for example okay right we had Strombellas at the festival in 2014 they were opening our Saturday as a fill-in band uh, on relatively unknown in three years those guys played at the Junos and yeah, a huge, huge Canadian band. Yeah. So it's nice to see that bands are developing. And I think that we do have some, some huge Canadian bands. And I think that when you look at, you know, I mentioned Arkells, you look at bands like a broken social scene or a band like, uh, which is kind of a weird band, but even bands like metric or feist or, um, or, uh, um, you know, Tribe Called Red are becoming very big yeah. or bands like the Strombellas. Whereas those are these big Canadian bands. Those are kind of some of our top bands right now, which, mm -hmm. uh, which is amazing. Um, but I also think that because they're somewhat in their prime and it, and don't know how long, you know, some of those bands are on their fourth or fifth album and they don't seem like they're slowing down. You would have to now get 20 years later to look back and see where those people are. And, you know, 20 years from now, are those going to be our tragically hips and yeah, yeah, rodeos, yeah. right? Yeah. So it's it also becomes like a generational thing. Um, but I feel like the Canadian music scene is, is uh, you know, it seems like it's healthy and it's strong and that there's lots of opportunity in Canada um, and hopefully outside of Canada for the artists. But it's been nice to watch bands develop. Um, 
I don't know if there's like any major, major trends because we're really looking at a rock based thing. Mm -hmm. So I can't, I can't, you know, tell you because uh, I'm not exploring the world of hip hop. I'm not exploring the world of electronic music that much. Um, you know, where rock falls into the place of uh, against all of those things. Um, so, yeah, so that's a little bit uh, that's a little bit tough. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, how long have you how long have you been at Bose? Uh, two and a half years. Okay. This will be my third Oktoberfest. Third Oktoberfest. Gotcha. And how, how has that event specifically changed over that time? Um, I think that, uh, the year that I first started, it was kind of a hybrid year where I was producing it with the previous planner. Um, so it was a lot of just, uh, you know, get here uh, and make it happen. Mm. And, um, and and last year, a lot of the things that I wanted to change were about um, were kind of behind the scenes. So implementing process and uh, new processes, and really getting um, really getting all of those areas uh, working at an even higher level than they are already were, um, and giving them a little bit more of an independence and really kind of fine tuning how things work behind. So outside of that, um, and, and just making sure that it works even more efficiently in the background, that's not a thing that the public necessarily sees, but it's a thing that, um, that affects their experience and, and keeping that even tighter. Can you Um, give an example of that? Like maybe one of the behind the scene changes that kind of really, um, affected the, the, the festival goer experience? Um, I think it's a lot about um, staffing and okay. uh, not that we weren't uh, weren't properly staffed but um, letting those area managers know that they that they're empowered to do certain things without having to worry about coming to me okay um, and really helping them to define their roles uh, even further than they already were because there was a, I came into a very healthy organi- healthily organized event um, and uh, and being able to get things just running in the background and uh, you know making sure that all the right people are in the places that um, we're reevaluating resources, reevaluating um, things that can be risks. We're reevaluating how quickly line times move um, and what we need and where our targets are so that we can make sure that people are flowing through the festival without ever having to wait too long and, you know, all of those types of things. So it's a very much a human resources type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you have the people working in a way that they are comfortable when they're on site, that they know who they're reporting to, that the people they're reporting to are empowered to make certain decisions, but also know that they can come to me and I can help them out with whatever they need. I think, you know, we're starting to see things uh, roll really, really smoothly behind the scenes, you know, <laughs> and uh, and I noticed the first year, I mean, you know, 
Friday, the radio never stopped uh, in, in my ear for people asking questions. And, you know, the Saturday, it, it calmed down. Last year, probably by about 8 o'clock, the radio was pretty quiet on the Friday. And it's really only people coming to me for emergencies. And otherwise, they're running their areas. And what that allows for is, you know, um, more oversight from the area manager. It allows me to be able to take a step back and to be able to concentrate on the festival as a whole and be able to react to emergencies that happen. And it's not always like emergency in the sense that you think of emergency, but the second that you open the gates, you are letting in the public. And we had 20,000 different people there, or maybe, you know, some, some of those people came both days, but we had 20,000 people between the two days last year. And when you have those people on site, it, it can even just be five people. Everyone reacts differently to whatever is in front of them. Everyone thinks in a different way. Mm. So you need to be able to react to the human element when you're an event manager. Um, and you can't necessarily plan for that. You know, you can plan for a lot of other things. You can plan for all your electrical, all your tents, all your infrastructure, all your fencing, whatever that is. You can put all your staffing in there. But you can't plan outside of having security and police to help manage and and react as well. Um, you don't know what any, anyone's going to do at any given time. Yeah. So I need to be able to be free to be able to react and assist in those situations when something is unexpected because you have someone who acts in whatever way, whether they're super stoked and you want to be rewarding or they're having a challenge that you want to help them with. Um, and if I haven't pre-planned all of those, everything that I can pre-plan and given all of the different areas, the tools that they need to run and the empowerment that they need from a management perspective, then I'm not free throughout the weekend to be able to manage whatever situation arises. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's something that the public doesn't see, but it makes their experience when they're on site as best as it possibly can be. Yeah. I don't know if that answered your question. Yeah, yeah, no, no, yeah. The, that makes sense. Um, you know, and then this year we've got a Ferris wheel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a lot of fun. And uh, we're always, uh, you know, trying to change up what our programming is and, and think about new and fun things that we can do at, at the event and uh, and just bring some new life into it every year. Yeah. So. Can you divulge anything for next year? Uh, let me get through this here and we'll start talking yeah, yeah. about next year. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, what are some of the final steps before, uh, before it's in what, two weeks? Mm. Three weeks. Three weeks? Yeah, please don't take yeah, a week yeah. from me <laughs> at this stage in the game. Um, yeah, it's, it's a lot about, I'm at a point now where um, I'm doing the final scheduling and making sure there's no gaps in terms of staff or where we need people. Um, we are, you know, um, doing all of the, uh, the last couple of days have been communicating with all of the suppliers that we've booked things through and just making sure that all of the final production schedule is, uh, is in place because people start coming on site next on, on September 11th on the Mondays and we start building the site. Okay. Um, finalizing uh, accreditation, so who gets what pass, who needs a parking pass, who gets a meal voucher, all that type of stuff. Um, 
and uh, uh, you know camping lists for who's camping on at uh, WeMets or who's camping on on the fairgrounds um, if they're uh, staff or volunteers, um, and uh, really trying to fine tune all those last minute details and make sure that everyone knows where they need to be when they need to be that they know what their role is they know what their shift is which most of them excuse me, should know that by this point, but you still need to recommunicate it yeah, to yeah. them a few weeks out. And, um, um, you know, any any signage that uh, that we may need that is new is in the process of being designed and sent off to print because that, that turnaround process can be f- fairly quick for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's really just being there and starting to build up, build up the event. I, uh, I want to ask you this earlier, I forgot. But in in the years that you've been planning events, is there a situation that sticks out to you as uh, one, like, uh, a really good moment and then one, like, a a pretty bad problem that you had to deal with kind of on the fly or weren't sure what to do at the time? So we'll start with that one. Um, I think uh, there were a couple of situations that I've I've come into – when it was one event that I would work that never that had a lot of food vendors and it would never have the proper electrical. So okay. you're trying to constantly work with the people who are providing the electricity on the grounds and the vendors because you need to have the health and safety component up. And uh, and so that was just nonstop and didn't really give me the opportunity to do the full scope of what my job was mm. because I was always attentive to this because the people who were planning it hadn't pre-planned it properly and I'm there to do damage control. Um, so that's the type of thing that can happen. Uh, I also had a festival organizer when I was doing stage management and production management um, who decided that uh, because the, uh, and I didn't do any of the advancing, but because the headliner had gotten lost on the way over and was late and didn't start on time because they didn't, play the full amount of the show when we hit curfew that they weren't going to pay the artist the balance of their guarantee that night and so the artist had come out with um you know a wife and a child and wasn't getting the balance of the pay that night which you know whether they're going to get food or find accommodation or whatever it is they don't have that resource to rely on yeah yeah. and so i happened to know this artist agent from from college and he's calling me saying you know what's going on i'm saying i don't have the power to do any of anything for you at the moment and you know the uh the promoter is nowhere to be seen so that put in a very tough situation um because there wasn't anything i could do to make it better and i didn't want to jeopardize my own relationships when i was hired to just do this event which it didn't but it it's uh it's still a scary thing and then they didn't want to pay the end of my uh of my um my own payment because there had been a discrepancy with something to do with the sound company where equipment for the sound company had been damaged so there was going to be uh, a payment owing from the sound from the 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 festival but the sound company hadn't brought like a set of stairs and the guys were like well you need to refund us for these stairs before we pay you for the damage and it's just like oh man so that that became a whole weird kerfuffle as well and uh and there was strain on other people at the you know 
same level of, uh, of, uh, higher that I was on that festival for different types of reasons. So I've seen those types of things happen. Um, really, you know, highlight moments. I just, especially when I'm fully in charge of something like Oktoberfest is just being there and seeing it run, you know, um, definitely the first Oktoberfest where, you know, you're, you're working with someone who has been doing it for a while, but isn't physically there is, 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 uh, out of province and, and guiding you. And you're coming into some people that, you know, and, uh, uh, but a brand new thing that learning from May until, uh, you know, early October to execute, uh, where some things are definitely underway, but there's a lot to be done and a lot to learn. And I told you how long I work on it now. So yeah. you think about how, how short that was, even, even knowing that like a lot of the things up until that stage were ready, there's still a lot, a lot to learn. So really, you know, once the radio finally calmed down around nine o'clock on that first <laughs> Friday, um, and I was able to, uh, you know, have a very small sip of beer because you can't really, you got to keep your head about yeah. you when you're an, a, <laughs> a, an event manager. Um, it was, uh, that, that was a really nice moment uh, to feel like, oh man, we're here. It's happening. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I've had other, you know, it's just sometimes it doesn't matter if it's something the size of Oktoberfest or it's, you know, something where it's in a smaller room, uh, even, you know, 50, a hundred people, what I love most about it is when people are there and it's running and it's working and people are having a good time. Mm-hmm. And that's why I do events. So is, uh, is Oktoberfest the biggest event that you've done as like the main manager of the, of the entire thing? It is. Okay. Yeah. Oktoberfest is the largest event that I've personally overseen. Um, but I've been involved with events that are, uh, are larger in scale. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think that's pretty well it for me, unless there's anything else that you want to add. No, I just, uh, you know, we're September 22nd and 23rd down at the fairgrounds, and uh, we've got tickets for sale at the brewery or at bowsoctoberfest.ca, and uh, definitely come hang out with us. It's going to be a great time. We're going to raise a lot of money for uh, our community and for local charities, and uh, we're going to drink some great beer and eat some great food and listen to some awesome music and throw a keg, you know? It's fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, appreciate you taking the time today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh,